Hello and welcome to this, the 11th edition of Podularity, the online books programme that brings you authors and books in a pod. My name is George Miller, and this week I've been in Edinburgh to meet Chris Hannan, whose first novel, Missy, is published by Chateau on the 24th of April in the UK, and in the US by Farris Strauss in June. The book is set in a silver mining boom town in the Wild West in the 1860s, and the Missy of the title is not a character, but the liquid opium to which the 19-year-old narrator Doll McQueen is addicted. Doll works as a so-called flash girl, and you get an idea of her character right from the very first page of the book. There she writes... I expect you have the consolation of religion, or the guidance of a philosophy. But when me and the girls get frazzled, or blue, or rapturous, or just awfully so-so, we shin out and buy ourselves some hats. Dole is torn. Should she cross the river and give up prostitution? Would life on the other side be too dull? But if she continues to live life at its current pace, won't she end up emptied out and lifeless, a ghoul like so many other flash girls before her? And what is she to do with her irresponsible drink-sodden mother? And the crate of opium, for that matter, which a violent pimp has hidden under her bed. Chris Hannan has a highly distinguished career as a playwright already under his belt, and Missy is a hugely accomplished fictional debut which I highly recommend. When I met Chris, I wanted to know what had prompted him to become a novelist. I think if I'm honest, really, that it was quite a pragmatic decision to move from, from the stage to the page. Um, uh, it's just economics. I think it's it's uh, the, the um, theatre is quite a difficult place to, to, to earn a living. But I think moving, um, just technically, um, the, the movement is... I mean, what, what I think you can bring with you as a, as a, as a playwright. I mean, what you're used to in the theatre is, is creating character through voice. Mm. Um, and this is a first-person narration, so it's really all about the voice of the character, uh, Doll. Um, and what I was really trying to do, I suppose, was to try and create a kind of dramatic relationship with that character, um, in the sense that, you know, that that sometimes you know more really than she does. Um, you know, and the, um, you know, you almost, you know, she's got blind spots, hasn't she? The book's about self-deception, really, isn't it? So, um, you know, so that you might want to kind of at times want to warn her or, you know, help her or, you know, you can see she's going in a bad direction, but, you know, um, you know, and you worry for her, that kind of thing. So that's kind of dramatic relationship I, I wanted to, to, that I had the ambition to create. Um, and did you did you know then from the start that it was going to be a first person book all the way through? There was there was it was going to be seen from the point of view of Doll. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it was conceived, and I mean, partly partly because f- f- just from what I've just said, that I felt comfortable. This is me moving into a new medium. Mm. Uh, you know, that I had to start from up from that I knew nothing about really, um, and and so I, I kind of felt that I felt safer really with that first person position. Mm. Where did the voice of Doll come from? Because it's a very assured confident performance that that she gives that you get how 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 did you um begin to create that voice i think through many successive drafts you know she changed um i think a key thing for me is that the whole thing about the self-deception um and therefore to to point up that self-deception i needed her really to be quite clever I think so that you would mm. so that you would see that there, there is this just this blind particular blind spot that she has that she's not thick basically. Mm. Um, so over successive drafts, for example, she became she became cleverer. Um, uh, but it is it is a lot to do with in theatre the way you create you create um, voice is really by concerning yourself. Okay, partly with language and all that kind of thing, but 
really underneath that you really need to be concerning yourself with what with with what does the character want what do they need mm. what are they after mm. um, and that's really how you get towards the voice but I suppose I mean there were moments where through successor that's where I thought that's it you know I really mm. I've got that's something I've got something here you know like one bit I remember is is in the book do you remember where she she they're on, they're on the run kind of thing and head they see a, an Indian massacre and they see mm. the Indians looting the, looting the wagons and she walks towards them mm. you know thinking that she's, she's going to she's going to save the day or something like that you know so so at that moment and the way she describes that scene I, I, when I when I reached there I thought this I've really got something I really like this and then so retrospectively then you can go back to the beginning and 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 rewrite really. The, you mentioned the language and the language of the book. The, the book is set in 1862, and it's in the, the the far west of the United States. And the language is is it has a character all of its own. There's a lot of slang in the book, a lot of very colourful language. And I wondered how you, what kind of research you did into the language, and how much of it is is your own creation, as it were, and how much of it is a sort of faithful rendition of of what the language of that period would be like. A tremendous amount of research, basically. You know, as you can hear, I am Scottish. I'm from Clyde Bank, um, and I needed to be able to write something that was really persuasive, obviously, for somebody who mm. might live in California now. Mm. So, I had to really immerse myself in the language of, of 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 the people who went who went west. And it so happens that there's a tremendous amount of first person material available um, for 19th century Americans. Mm. Partly because the literacy rate seems to have been very high, and to go through, mm. uh, um, yeah, you know, various um, sections of society, yeah. and people who made the journey, for example, in the in the wagons, you know, leaving from Missouri to cross to California, a great number of those people knew that this was something kind of exciting to do. They'd heard, they'd read reports about it. They'd read about Indians, you know. They'd already read dime novels or or, or, or other kinds of Indians, and so when they set off on the journey, they decided to keep journals and diaries, and they also wrote loads of letters home. So that, and there's also the Civil War letters as well. People soldiers writing home. So there's a tremendous amount of material there, first hand, first hand material, and that that is, I had to immerse myself in that really, rather than I mean, I had to ignore westerns basically, is yes, what I'm saying, yes. and, and and second hand, second hand uh, inventions about the West. So another thing that I that I um, for the for the slang and the jargon, there were good there were good pointers in in um, Mark Twain's Roughing It. Uh, Mark Twain was in Virginia City in 1862. He was a very young young man. It's where he started his journalistic career and and um, uh, and his writing career, really. And he wrote a really good account of the West called Roughing It, which I'm sure um, lots of people will know about. In it, there's just there's just one section where he um, where he does a little piece, a conversation between a kind of a, a, a roughneck kind of character and the, and and a, and a and a priest type character, a vicar minister character, you know, where one's talking in in the in you know, heavy Virginia City slang and jargon, the other's not understanding that kind of um, set up that sketch. So there was just little clues like that of, of the way of the kind of jargon that might have been used and, and where it would come from. And in the underworld, jargon would have come from from New York and and from from London, basically. Mm. So, uh, and one of the, one of the the, the um, things I used was an 1859 dictionary of underworld slang written by a kind of uh, a guy, a, a chief of police in, mm. in New York. The only other thing that you have to you have to say is that once there's loads of words that you can't use because um, you know whether they were used then or not in the 19th century, nobody understands, nobody knows what they mean anymore. So you know, so do you know what I mean? So you have to you have to adapt what the the real 19th century language was for contemporary 
for a contemporary audience. Yes, and some some terms might be completely unfamiliar, but you quickly get a handle on what they mean from the way mm. that Doll uses mm. them. And like varnished, you quite mm. you quite quickly mm. catch on to what, what words like that mean. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, and the, that's one. I did make that word up actually. There's, there's, there are some words I made up, but mm. I tried to make them up on the basis of of you know what, what kind of what was around really. Yeah. Um, one, one, of the, one of the ones I really loved, I don't you can tell me if you made this up or you found it, was she says at one point she's going to get well and truly, and I thought that was a wonderful... Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, um, you mentioned the underworld, I mean how much, how easy was it to find out that, about the lives of pimps and whores and thieves and gangsters and so on, presumably they, they weren't leaving behind written records, they were sort of, <laughs> sort of, they were sort of vanishing without trace, I mean, how did you, how much of that was based on research? Yeah, there's a fair amount of there's a fair amount of research around about that as well. Um, Virginia City was a was a big silver silver boom town. Um, at one point, it was creating you know more more wealth than any anywhere else on the face of the planet, and it so happened that we know quite a lot of about it. Mark Twain, as I say, was there. Hmm. Also there at the same time were two other journalists, one called um, Dan DeQuill, that's his pen name, Dan DeQuill, a guy called William Wright, and another journalist called Alf Doughton, who kept extensive journals and diaries, three volumes, I mean three massive volumes hmm. of diaries and journals. And as well as that, it's just heavily researched by historians, this place, because it's because it's one of the few places where the West is still, you still have material evidence of it. You've mm. got houses, you've got um, architecture, you've got garbage that they can look through mm. to find traces of, you know, bottles and, and that, uh, you know, what, what were they using, what the artefacts were they using. So there's a masses and masses of research about, about this place, including about prostitution in there. There's an excellent book by a woman called Marion Goldman. Um, the exact title of the book escapes me at the moment, but, you know, that which concentrates on um, prostitution in this tiny well, you know, quite quite small town, really, uh, and amasses all the evidence um, for it. Mm. Did you spend much time in the West when you were researching the book too? Uh, well, <laughs> I had about I had only um, I'd written, written, been writing it for about two years mm. before we, we finally made it across there, and we only had about three weeks to sort of um, dash all over, you know, try and try and do the same mirror the journey that she made, basically. So go from San Francisco all the way out to Bear River in in, uh, in Wyoming. And at the same time, I was kind of trying to, trying to decide where scenes, where to locate certain scenes, and so on, you know, you know, because I had a picture of this country from the research I'd done, which then turned out not, obviously not to be yeah. the case when I got there. So, for example, like one of the things from the research, the the immigrants as they crossed the states all went r- wax lyrical about this river, or the river near Ham's uh, Ham's Fork, I think it was. Um, so I decided I set this big, you know, big turning point scene at the end would be set there. When I got there, it just kind of looked really, the river just looked really putrid. I didn't know what to be there, and um, so anyway, eventually we found Bear River. That was, that was okay. Addiction looms large in the t- in the book. It, it, it's Missy of the title is the liquid opium to which Doll is addicted. Mm. She uses it partly to escape, and also partly she she says you know allows her to govern chaos, and she sort of thinks herself master of the universe. And mm. um, that that must have been sort of written into the plan from 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 early on, especially mm. as what we were saying about sort of self deception. It sort of mm. goes hand in hand with that, I suppose. Mm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I think that's right. I think you know I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to really ghost this character unless I identified with her quite strongly you know, and quite deeply mm. and uh, so you know that's one of the connections I have with that character is the self-deception mm. you know the the uh, and in part that's to do with uh, you know her uh, her addiction mm. I mean I guess um you, you know f- uh, that also goes extends really to her relationship with her mother I mean as you know that in in the book she she 
Doll's mother is is an alcoholic, and um, you know she can you know she can see her mother very very clearly, and can see the damage that that her mother is doing to herself, and and so on. But she cannot see what what's happening to herself, and and for me that mirrors um, myself and my father that it was this basically the same situation that mm. uh, that I saw uh, my father as an alcoholic, and. In spite of the evidence and in spite of the uh, example of all that, I was unable to see myself that I was that I was uh, heading in that direction too. Self self deception, you, you mentioned, and it seemed to me that another theme of the book was self invention because mm. the West is mm. new and it's mm. opening up mm. and mm. people can change name and change yeah. identity and yeah. change career and be one on one day on the right side of the law and one day on mm. the wrong side of the law and sometimes steam a path in between. Mm. And you know, I wanted to ask you to say a little bit about about that sort of aspect of, of characters in the book. Uh, well, I mean, I just think that's absolutely right. Just everything, just what you've said, really. I mean, I think that's one of the that's one of the attractions of the West. Is one, um, in reality, that was one of the attractions of the West that criminals and people who were in mm. debt would go there. But I think also imaginatively for us, that's one of the attractions for the West, isn't it? You know, that mm. we think of it as a place where, kind of, you know, to some extent, anything goes. You know, from the point of view of the character, because this is a place where, kind of nothing's no kind of real laws or regulations are imposed on you then the character has to find her own internal laws mm. from experience mm. um, so I mean that was one of the reasons for setting it there I think yes. I mean the potential moral vacuum really isn't there where, where the, there is no law and you can do whatever your conscience dictates or you can set your conscience aside yeah no absolutely I mean d- d- the corollary of that of the freedom is uh, you know, like you can, you can, you can leave a little rural parish in Ireland, and you know, go to San Francisco. You've left your sisters behind, your brothers behind, your mum behind, your bad dad behind, your church behind, um, and all the values and all the kind of restrictions that go with that. You can become whoever you like. However, the danger is that you've left all of that behind, and there's nothing to support you. I mean, one of the things, interesting things about doing the research in the West was how modern it felt. Uh, you know, it really did mm. feel. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, obviously, as a writer, you're looking for those connections. How can I, you know, how can I make? But I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up. Uh, the, the suicide rate, for example, parallels mm. modern suicide rates, uh, and I think that tells you something about the um, the loneliness of the West and 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 the lack of the lack of uh, social social kind of. You know, a strong social network, yes. or, if you like. Well, life does seem to be very cheap. People take others' lives and take their own lives and do all sorts of things to harm themselves. Yeah. And it seems like everything is... Life is being lived at a headlong pace yeah. with very little thought for, for the morrow. Yeah. Right? yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. the, the West that, that you portray is very different from the West that many of us grew up with because, the, you know, the West, which is portrayed in, in film, in, you can make a long list of the ways in which yeah. you're West, yeah. differs from that, you know, the concentration of female characters, moral ambiguity, you know, the way that the Indians are portrayed and so on. I mean, did, did you have in your mind as you were writing a kind of image of the West that you were, you were reacting against and wanted to sort of... Can't counterpose your your West too. Yes, um, I would say not strictly speaking. There are there are some Westerns I l- I love. For example, not I don't like as a as a whole genre. I don't like I don't like Westerns for the reasons you just mm. mentioned. There are uh, there are there are individual Westerns that I love. You know, like uh, um, McCabe and Mrs Miller or. Uh, is a lovely one. I think they're just really beautiful, really sensuous. Uh, you know, Red River, High Noon. These are great, you know, great lessons. Um, I think one of the things, one of the things I thought was exciting about the West, which is not normally in westerns, is just if you imagine the West, 
if you're making that journey across across the plains, right, and meeting Indians and all, you know, in your covered wagon, you're meeting Indians and all, and all that kind of thing. If somehow you're John Wayne and you've got a gun and you can shoot, you know, a hundred yards and all that kind of thing, you know, where's the fun? Where's the excitement? Where's the danger in that? Mm. If you're making that journey and it's you and me, then suddenly it's quite it's quite exciting. You know, like, we don't know anything about Indians. Mm. You know, we don't know how to shoot. You know, we don't know how to. Do you know what I mean? It suddenly becomes yeah. very interesting, and that's really what I was what I was going for is just to kind of. Uh, I mean, one of the things, for example, about McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which I really like, is the Warren Beatty character in it. People, I don't know if people will remember this this film. It's, it's a really lovely film, uh, and there's a point where you realise McCabe, the, the McCabe, the Warren Beatty character, is going to have to go up against. Uh, he, he, the, there's a there's a company who wants to buy him out. He refuses to sell, and what the company does is sell some is send some um, gunfighters out after him or killers out after him. Just to, you know, and uh, and you suddenly realise that McCabe has got you know he's not up, he's got, he's way above his head. Way over his head, you know, he doesn't. He's no idea how to how to. He can't shoot. He's, no, he's never been in, in this kind of trouble before, and it's 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 really lovely because there's a kind of comedy about it and a terror about it. It's basically the way Warren Beatty performs this 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 character. And I suppose that kind of do you know what I mean? That kind of texture, that atmosphere, is something I wanted to to get. And comedy is a, or a comic element is is one of the one of the things that's horribly missing from most westerns. And and there's certainly moments of comedy, even even when um, Dole and her her band are in dire straits. There, there are mm. moments that, um, mm. as you say, they're they're sort of ineptitude. They sort of set off basically with with gin as their only provisions, more or less, <laughs> don't they? Pontius, who's a who's a pimp, mm. and pivotal really to the whole story, I thought was a was a, a great creation. And it seemed to me at first he was going to be a sort of embodiment of sort of pure evil. And then as the story unfolds, he, he becomes a more, more complex and more ambiguous character. And I wondered, I wondered um, how, how you sort of, how you drew that character and what sort of role you saw him as having in the narrative. Doll and, the, her, and her mum play out, you know, play out a, a large part of the relationship through him, don't they? Mm. Um, and, and I think that in that way he became pivotal for me, that I needed him to be, I needed him to be, just smarter. Mm. Uh, sorry, sorry. This is this is going back drafts that that, that he he became. You know, thank you for your characterisation of him. But, but in earlier drafts, mm. he was a cruder character than that, mm. um, and I had to smarten him up yeah. um, because of the of the pivotal role that he was going to play in the particularly, as I say, between in the relationship between Doll and her mum, which for me was the was the central relationship really in the uh, in the whole in the whole deal. Yes. Towards the end, Doll says that you think of yourself as being the heroine of your own story and then you turn out to be a monster. And I wondered, I wondered if you thought, if she was castigating herself a bit, if she'd gone from one extreme to the other and, and in fact the truth is somewhere in the middle. She's, she's neither an unalloyed heroine, but she's, nor is she a monster. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think she needs to, though, to... Um, if she can get, if she can, if she can, yeah, she needs to become human. That, that, that's that's what she needs to needs to do. And hopefully, at the end, in 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 the in the way she is with Cordelia, that that's the true ending. Really, that that she finds there in this character, whom she's up to that point has despised and and looked down upon. That that if she can find a sort of you know a moment of fellowship or whatever you want to call it with that person, that that that's her true end or that's her true. A moment of self-realization. Um, you know, that's a true moment of. It's a happy. You know, so it's a happy. It's a ha- as happy an ending as can be. I think. Mm. The, the, the old cliche is that first novels are autobiographical, mm. and although 
you say, you know, the, the character of doll is transposed in gender and time and place and language um, in, in every possible way from, from your own experience. You, you're saying that, you know, there is a sort of strong autobiographical structure to this book. I think, I mean, I think there is. I mean, in the sense that, just in the sense that I think you have to, you've got to give something of yourself to, to, any, to any I mean it's, for me writing writing or, or of any kind whether it's drama or novels is not about self-expression it's, it is about telling a story um, you know it's about communicating with other people you know and that is the principal thing and, and it's really about what they take from, from the play or the book um, however for me to make the, just to, to, for me to make the book work the story work I really need to give something of myself to that mm you know that's all it is so so it's not like it's an autobiographical book it's just that to make it to give it life to give it something that matters mm. then I need to I need to give it some of my you know experience and to mm. share something uh, um, so uh, so in that sense it's 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 you know autobiographical and having begun by talking about making the transition from stage to page I wondered about the the transition in the other direction or the or in the direction of film and mm. if you could envisage a film, a portrayal of Doll on film. Yeah, it'd be good fun, wouldn't it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> who would you, who would you have play play Doll? Goodness, that would be quite a challenge, wouldn't it? Yeah. My knowledge of my knowledge of young American actresses is yeah. probably not sufficiently yeah. up to date yeah. to, to give yeah. a good answer to yeah. that. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tricky. I mean, she's nineteen, isn't she? And um, and she's, uh, you know, that would be that would be hard. It would be lovely. Yeah, no, it'd be really good. It'd be really it's the kind of part I can imagine people being willing to hack off an arm for. I kind of like. I kind of like anyway the idea of that people um, see it as a part. You know, mm. um, even if they're reading as a novel. I mean, do you know what I mean? That they can yeah. see it as a kind of uh, somehow that she's a character. Do you know what I mean? Because that, she, yeah. yes, she, she's 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 often on stage as it were, yeah. metaphorically, isn't she? Yeah. She's playing a part, whether yeah. she's at the theatre or she's trying to seduce somebody or trying to get her way in some way. She's she mm. she she knows the, that mm. she can play mm. parts. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Hennan, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>